You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. So good morning. My name is Kwame. I'm one of the uh, leaders here at Midtree. So from time to time, you'll see me up here, uh, hear me, hear from me and preaching the word. Um, And being a part of the leadership team, great brothers, we meet once a week. And when we meet, uh, often, well, and sometimes we, we bring up cultural differences. Question, I ask questions. My brothers ask questions. Uh, and it's not um, awkward or anything like that. It's, it's, it's beautiful because as brothers in Christ, we're able to um, celebrate our backgrounds and uh, know ultimately that the gospel is what brings us together. So with that being said... I am grateful and honored that I can preach for Black History Month. It's supposed to be a joke. Yeah, there you go. No, I'm okay. You it's all right. You can laugh. So, by God's providence, I'll be preaching this Sunday and Lord willing next Sunday. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, this morning, if you will, if you are a visitor, uh, you'll find a Bible in front of you, hopefully, if you don't have one. Uh, if you do have a Bible, uh, go ahead and prepare to, to open that. We're not, we're not going to stay in one particular place this morning because this is going to be a, a topical message, and the message is going to be on sanctification, the gift, joy, and power of sanctification. Repeat after me, sanctification. sanctification. Amen, amen, sanctification. So, if you will, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6, if you will. And it'll be on the screen as well. But this morning, especially when we get to a particular part, when our heads, our eyes, our nose, nose is in the Bible, in the book. So years ago, I think I was 10 or 11, uh, my mother and a friend of the family, they took me to Tennessee. I was their backseat passenger. And uh, we had this long trip to Tennessee. It was my first time going to Tennessee. I remember getting a whole box of uh, oatmeal um, pies to take with me on this trip. And uh, I was a backseat driver, and they were playing their music, and I was enjoying the time with them uh, by myself uh, in the back as, as the youngest of the crew. And we got to Tennessee. I enjoyed the time in Tennessee for this first day. I met new people, enjoyed some good old Tennessee cooking. And then the next morning... My mother woke me up, woke me up out of my sleep. The plan was, I believe, for us to stay for like two nights. But the first night on into the next morning, my mother woke me up out of my sleep. She said, Kwame, Kwame, we have to go. We have to go. I'm like, what's going on? She says, it's a bad storm coming. I said, okay, all right. So I woke up out of my sleep. It was early in the morning, and I grabbed my uh, oatmeal, the rest of my oatmeal pies, got my bag closed, and got into the car. I noticed when we got into the car, got Outside into the car, it was this eerie, like, like dark feeling. Physically dark outside, and it was this dark feeling that I felt. So we got into the, uh, the car, and we started to travel, started to leave. Both of the adults in the front seat, I'm in the back, I'm just observing. They were quiet, quiet. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Are they scared? What's happening? It began to hail, started hailing big time. And then eventually we heard the siren, the infamous siren that says, it's a to- tornado either spotted, I believe, or coming. So heard the siren. We're driving. 
going down the highway and we're seeing cars pull over to the side. We keep going. I'm thinking in my mind, maybe we should pull over to the side too. But they keep going. Uh, the, the friend of the family, he's driving, keep going, continues to hail, continues to hail. Then eventually he gets off on the exit and we get off on this exit onto another highway. The hail uh, cease, it ceases and then the siren becomes faint. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on. They're still quiet, trying to figure out what's going on. There's going to be a tornado in front of us or behind us. I know it's, it's, it's crazy. So we keep driving, and I notice in the distance, this, the sky seemed like it began to split. And it wasn't a tornado coming, but the clouds were shifting, and it seemed like the sun was behind the clouds, but it was kind of shy, it seemed as if it were. And I saw the backdrop of the blue sky. So I'm like, wow, praise God. I hope we're continuing to go straight because if we go anywhere else, we might be in trouble. So we continue to drive, and I just broke the silence. I said, um, hey, guys, 10, 11-year-old Kwame, hey, guys, um, I'm scared. Like, I, I don't, I've never been anything like this. I'm scared. And the friend of the family, his name is Mr. Roy, he turned around briefly, had this smirk on his face, and with confidence, he said, Kwame, I'll never forget this. I always think about this. Jasmine, she laughs at me when I bring this up. But it helped. Uh, he said, Kwame, he says, uh, you see that opening right there? The, you see the, the sun peeking out a little bit? The clouds splitting? He said, that's where we're headed. He said, stay focused on that. That's where we're going. And I'm like, Praise God. I'm, well, I didn't say praise God. I wasn't a believer. I said, oh, well, thank great. That's great. And <laughs> just, I was just looking. And, and from him saying that and actually me seeing what was ahead gave me confidence that we were going to be okay. Regardless of what was going on around us, I knew that we were going to be okay. Mr. Roy told me we're headed this way. We we're actually moving in that direction. We were going to be okay. I chilled, made oatmeal, oatmeal pie. We straight. Kept on going straight, kept on going straight. And just being reminded, as I said, I'll never forget that day and never forget that message from Mr. Roy to keep looking at this sky, regardless of what's going on around, we're going to be okay. We're going this way. We're headed that way. We're going to be fine. The journey. If you're a believer in here, if you are trusting in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, you are now on a journey. That journey is going to lead to glorification. But that journey itself is sanctification. And we've heard the word before. Maybe you've grown up in, grown up in church. Sanctification. Oh, he, he's sanctified or she's sanctified. Sanctification. Sanctification is a journey. It's a lifelong process. And so what I would like to do first is for us to know that with sanctification, brothers and sisters, as we talk about it this morning, let's not just think about the term uh, of sanctification. Well, let's not just think about bad things to avoid to hinder our walk in Christ. All those, those things are very, 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 get this in your heart, very important. But what I want us to think about this morning is how sanctification is a gift, how we can have joy, although sometimes it doesn't feel joyful in becoming more like Christ. It can be painful because the Lord is stripping things away from us but how there can be joy in our sanctification and then that how what the power is 
that guides us in our sanctification or who guides us in our sanctification. Praise be to God. So let's start the term sanctification. I'm not just going to settle on this. I just want us to kind of get a grip on what sanctification is. So sanctification, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 35, says sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin. Read that part again. And are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. Another definition from this bald-headed guy I know, sanctification is looking at the one who has all the power to change you and rejoicing in his salvation as you pursue the means of grace for holy and meaningful change. And it's when change actually happens. It's often slow, but it actually happens. And the Lord laid that on my heart. This is maybe like two weeks ago. Like I was actually in my heart going through Pruning, as we all will, if you are in Christ. The Lord was revealing some things in my heart to me, but at the same time showing me that he is not going to leave me, although at times I am messed up. That he is going to continue to conform me into the image of his son. And that is often slow, but change will actually happen. Another definition, you may not see it on the screen, but I'll read it here. Sanctification is, that, is, is not the absence of indwelling sin. It's the spiritual walk, sometimes spiritual crawl, within and towards the for sure love and victory for us in Christ, despite the wickedness that remains in us and around us. One more for you. Sanctification is when the people of God Walk by the grace of God in holiness and to holiness because of the call of God to be holy as he is holy. And this is not done perfectly, brothers and sisters. It's not. But we have a perfect God and a good God who's going to make sure that our sanctification is complete. And that leads me to our first point. The gift of sanctification. As I said earlier, some of us may think of sanctification as not feeling so good in our life, but sanctification is truly, truly a gift. And I hope we don't miss this point, because if we miss this point, we will think that what God is doing inside of us and around us is separate from his love for us. But it's not. It's God's love for us. We quote this all the time, Romans 8. It says that all things work for the good of those who love the Lord. All things. That's good. Bad and ugly. All things will work for our good to become more like Christ. So the gift of sanctification, sanctification is a gift. But before we dive into this gift of sanctification, brothers and sisters, we have to know this. You cannot confuse, we cannot confuse justification with sanctification. Justification happens once. Sanctification continues to happen. See, if we mix the two up, we'll think that, okay, well, I can just try to live this holy and sanctified life. Then God will justify me. 
Negative. That's not true. God justifies us. God loves us while we were sinners. God loved us while we were ungodly. God loved us while we were enemies. It says in Romans chapter 5. It says that, I'll, I'll read it real quick. It says, for while we were still, this is 5 verse 6, it may not be on the screen, that's fine. I'll read it. Just trust me, I'm reading word for word. <laughs> for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sanctified, no, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And this is awesome. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. So, amen. So justification is when God declares us righteous. God as a holy judge says, you are acquitted. All of your charges are dropped. You're lawless. I know you're lawless. You sin ultimately against me. But because of my son and his work, his death, burial, resurrection, you are now justified by faith. Not because you got all check marks when you were in fifth grade or fourth grade. No, but because of my son's righteousness, you are justified, declared righteous. It gets even better. So there's justification by a holy judge. And then there's adoption by a holy father, a loving father. God justifies us, then he adopts us into his family. And then there's sanctification. See, this is why it's so important to not mix up the two. Because sanctification, this ongoing change to become more like Christ, is not a behavioral management program from a mere judge who acquits. Sanctification, amen, sanctification is a holy, loving change from a father who loves. So if you right now are going through this change, you're starting to see yourself, and you will continue to see ourselves in this life, as ugly as, oh, Lord, why would you love me? It's because of his son. And we should celebrate that and be, and be charged by that to live a holy life because it's God's love in us who's changing us, and it's God's love for us who saved us in the first place. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites, he says this right here, and this is very true. I believe, he says this, I believe the holier a man becomes, we say, of course, a man and a woman, back in those days, man, 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 but I believe the holier a man becomes, check this out, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains in him. I see that off like, Lord, like, help me. Help me to finish this race. I need your grace. The same grace that saved me, I need that same grace to keep me. So, from God making us righteous and making us his children, God has also called us to live in a different way because we are now different people. We're now justified people adopted people of God to continue 
and sanctification. Some verses from Romans chapter 6. I asked you to turn there earlier. And I will start with chapter 6, verse 4. Paul writes, he says, We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, what does Paul say next? We too might walk in newness of life. You see that? You see that the order? He says that we have died with Christ, been buried with Christ, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead. I lost my spot, excuse me. Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too, because of what Christ has done, we too might walk in newness of life. He didn't say attempt to walk in newness of life, then Christ would die for you. He said, no, Christ has died for you. You have died with Christ, been buried with Christ. You've been, you've been raised with Christ. Now you too should walk in newness of life. Verse 10 and 11, same chapter. For the death he died, he died to sin. Not his sin. Brothers and sisters, everybody's sinning here who is trusting in Christ and who will trust in Christ. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. (laughs) Paul includes this right here. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's major. That's Paul telling us, reminding us who we are as a people. Who we have died with Christ. As I said, we have been raised with Christ. So that, therefore, should identify, should tell us that there's a new life to live because of Christ. And when we forget that, when we get in those moments where we can't see spiritually, we need to be reminded of what Christ has done for us because that will take off the blinders Open the eyes of our hearts, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. That will call us and empower us to live out this holy life that has been bought for us. So we are able to live in the newness of life because of who we have died with and in and who we have been raised with. Amen. Point number two. The hindrance of joy in sanctification. When I wrote this, I was thinking, I hope people don't think I'm saying that uh, sanctification hinders joy. No. There are things in our lives, in us and around us, that attempt to smother out or hinder our joy in becoming more like Christ. It's a joyful thing, a joyful reality for God to not only justify us, acquit us and and adopt us but to make us more like Christ as brother Mitch read earlier being conformed not into this world being conformed to the image of Christ so we must know that there are things as I said earlier in us and around us that are consistent they don't take breaks our flesh does not take breaks worldliness does not take breaks the enemy does not take breaks They are consistent with trying to smother out the joy that's ours in Christ and our sanctification. For example, the flesh. 
You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen if you want to turn there. That's fine. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. It says, Paul writes, it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. You've been raised with Christ. And he says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another, to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's flesh and there's spirit. As I said earlier, we, we, we prayed earlier that, that, the, that the things of the spirit, that we'll be led by the things of the spirit. And as I said earlier, the spirit will always point us to Christ. The spirit glorifies Christ. Christ glorifies the father. The flesh wants us to look at self and to look away from the things of Christ and the things of God. Every person in here, if you've been a Christian for 30 seconds or 30 years, you have flesh. You can quote Romans chapter 1 to verse 8 by memory. You still have flesh. We all have this indwelling enemy that wants to take away or smother our joy in becoming like Christ. B. I have in my notes, flesh was A, B is worldliness and spiritual laziness. Not utilizing the means of grace that have been given to us and instead having an appetite. It's subtle. It can happen to all of us. Having an appetite for the things of the world. Stiff arming the means of grace and having an appetite for the things of the world. It can happen to all of us. We're on social media too long, Netflix too long, or whatever. We, before we know it, our hearts have turned cold towards, the thing, towards loving others, evangelizing, or, or, or getting up with a brother or sister. We begin to isolate ourselves uh, and become individuals, and therefore our appetite becomes the things of the world. But guess what? For all of us, the Holy Spirit is not having it. If we've been justified in Christ made alive, we are adopted children of God, the Holy Spirit would be grieved by that appetite and the Father would discipline us because of that appetite and put us back on the right road to continue to look more like Christ. Sanctification, amen. So we have to fight against those things. Those things will attempt to hinder or smother our joy. Also the enemy. We know that the enemy prowls around the lion seeking to devour. The enemy is the God, lowercase g, of this world, blinding the eyes of unbelievers. But we're called in Ephesians, as, as Paul writes, to keep on our armor, every piece of, our, every, every piece of armor, to fight against the ways of the enemy, the, the, the flaming darts keep up the shield of faith of the enemy. All of these things are out to, again, hinder our joy or smother out our joy and peace and becoming more and more like Christ. But we also can hinder the expressiveness of that joy when we do things that we're not supposed to be doing. When we give into the flesh or worldliness, we can volunteer ourselves to that very fact. I want to read something. Romans chapter 7. You can turn there. It should be right next to chapter 6. Romans chapter 7, we'll start at verse 14. 
The apostle Paul writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing is good. Nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do, if I do what I, let me go back. Paul is, uh, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I stop there. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. And he's saying what we all should know and agree with, that there is a war inside of us. There is a waging, raging war inside of us, and that is our flesh. God has a holy law. Our flesh says, thank you for your holy law. I'm going to do the opposite. That's in all of them. When we want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And Paul may not be talking about just He's not talking about a habitual lifestyle of sin. Paul's looking at the law and and the the core of the law, for example, early in chapter 7, he mentions coveting. The law says not to covet his heart. I I covet. I'm going to covet. So Paul is saying that in me, although I am a believer, there is this flesh inside of me that does the opposite of what God is calling me to do. And that's the case for every Christian in this place. So we must know our enemy. We must know that these things, this, this flesh, attempts to hinder our joy and sanctification. So point three, the power that keeps us in sanctification. So there is a power that truly keeps us becoming more like Christ. And that power is the, the Father himself, the Son himself, and the Spirit himself, and the gospel that has saved us to give us our loving God. So if it took God, God's power, to make us alive in Christ, it's going to take God's power to keep us in Christ. If it took God's power to make us alive in Christ, it's going to take God's power to keep us in Christ. So check this out right here. There is a love inside of us and for us 
that will not allow us to continue in sin and enjoy it. That's a great thing because before salvation, we continued in sin and we wanted more and more sin. As Romans 6 talks about, we wanted more lawlessness. The flesh is like, yo, that was great last night. Let's do it again. More sin. But because of God's love and Christ finished work for us, there is a love that that points us back to his love to say. My love is greater than that sin you were enslaved to. My love is greater than the temptation of this world and the temptation that's coming out of your flesh. My love is greater. And I'll prove it to you. Let's go on to finish what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. He says this right here, verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am, he asked a question, who will deliver me from this body of death? Which uh, often I'm sure we ask that, Lord, like, I see my flesh. Who will deliver me from this? I've been a believer for 35 years. I still see my flesh. Who would deliver me from this? And Paul has an answer, which we all should look to this answer. He says, thanks be to God through our Lord, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. We got to go to Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just stop there for a second. Don't believe the lie of the enemy or your flesh. When you start to see the ugliness coming out of your heart as you're being transformed. For the enemy to tell you or your flesh to tell you, oh, look at that. God loves you. You think you deserve salvation? You should be condemned. You are condemned. You sure that you're not condemned? Again, you don't deserve salvation. We need to tell, by God's grace, tell our flesh, ourselves, or whoever, you're right, I don't deserve salvation. That's the point. It's because of Christ I have salvation. And even though I am struggling, even though I see the reality of my flesh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. Get out of here. Scram. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God, not Kwame, not Brother Mitch, not Brother Jimmy, not Sister Jasmine. Love you, babe, wherever you are. Um, (laughs) For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How do you do it, Paul? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In Jesus' flesh, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was not sinful like we are, but he came in every way like us, but yet without sin. Tempted in every way, but yet without sin. And sin was condemned in him. Why? Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit, continue to keep a step with the spirit, as Galatians talk about, walking by the spirit is life and peace. It's a sanctification. Keeping step with the spirit, even in light of your sinful, sluggish, heavy, hell-bound flesh, keep in step with the spirit because of what Christ has done for you. For the mind, verse 7, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Are there any unbelievers in this room, in this place? You do not have the spirit of God. I say this in a loving way. Even if you are, are an executive in your organization or you dot your I's and cross your T's and things like that, your flesh is hostile to God. Your way of life and way of thinking is hostile consistently to God. Our flesh that we have is hostile to God. For it does not submit to, the, to, the, to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, brothers and sisters, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead. This passage gives me wings. Better than a red bull. Gives me wings because when I see the, uh, the crumminess of my flesh and I'm reminded that it's Christ in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, check this, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And one more verse and for chapter eight. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We're not. We're not debtors to the flesh anymore. We're no longer condemned that we're in Christ. We live and walk by the spirit we're called to. So guess what? If we're no longer debtors to the flesh, we owe the flesh nothing. When the flesh comes around like, man, a sister or whatever, brother, sister, um, who you're inside of, the flesh is inside of, you, you, you need to snap back at old girl for trying you like that. That's the flesh. You need to just do all the things the flesh calls you. Like, no, we need to tell the flesh, and it may sound silly, if you have to, actually tell the flesh, I owe you nothing. What are you, what are you doing here? Keep in step with the spirit. That'd be just like me. Say if I paid the van off, which we're working on. <laughs> Say if I paid the van off. Debt is clear, right? It would be silly of me to go back to the credit union months later. Like, hey, Mr. Ogerman, good to see you again. Hey, how's it going? What are you here for? Um, I want to make another payment on the van. Like, well, sir, your van is paid off. Your debt is clear. Why are you back here? Like, well, I, I want to pay on the van. That's like us when the flesh comes and, our, and appears in our hearts. When we go back to the flesh, we're trying to appease a debt that's already been taken care of. 
Like we're debtors no longer to the flesh. We have to remember that. We have to get that. We don't have to pay, make payments on something that's already been paid for or something that we're not indebted to. Like I said earlier, scram. Get out of here. I owe you nothing. Why are you at my door? So, the power of sanctification is looking to God's love for us in Christ. The power of sanctification is keeping in step with the Spirit. It's feasting on the Word of God. It's by the Spirit practically loving our brothers and sisters in the faith. It's pursuing the lost with the gospel. We got to be careful not to be entertained by the lost or entertained by the world. Because what will happen, we will turn in on ourselves just to consume entertainment and we'll forget the mission to love the lost, to evangelize, to share the gospel to the lost, to make disciples, not just consume and be entertained. Like these people, those people have souls that the gospel needs to reach. I'm not against Netflix. We watch Netflix and, anything, and stuff like that. We have to keep our, our minds clear, minds renewed, and remember the mission. The power of sanctification is abiding in Christ to bear much fruit, as John 4, uh, 15 alludes, uh, talks about. So we must remember the power that is ours, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, the gospel, the power that is ours to continue in sanctification. Because God is going to finish the work. He's going to finish the work. And if you're justified, you're no longer condemned, but God is going to do what he has to do to make sure that we look more and more like Christ. And that's a beautiful thing, that he disciplines us when, he, when, we, need to, when we need to be disciplined. So I have, some ta- I have a few takeaways before I'm out your way. Number one, in our sanctification, brothers and sisters of Mitri and friends and family who are visiting, if you are in Christ, in our sanctification, we should be honest. We should be honest. The flesh is more powerful than our willpower. Worldliness is more enticing than our resolve to do what is right. So we must be honest with ourselves, as, as Paul was honest in Romans chapter 7. We must say and realize, like, I can't do this on my own. I need that same power that saved me to keep me. I cannot do this on my own. Be honest with one another. Brother, sister, hey, I'm struggling. Can we meet up for coffee? Like, I'm turning cold towards my family. I'm, I'm, I'm spazzing on people at work. Like, hey, let's meet up for coffee. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know where I am right now spiritually. We must be honest. So brothers in Christ, I have a question for us. Are we fighting against the joy that's ours in sanctification because of spiritual laziness? Or are we playing with fire in some kind of way in our lives and in our hearts, in our walk, that's attempting to smother out our joy, smother our joy in becoming more like Christ? We must be honest with ourselves and we must repent and continue by faith with one another. Sisters in Christ, are you fighting against the joy that is yours in sanctification 
because of the trap of comparing yourselves to someone else or discontentment. You must be honest with yourselves and repent and continue by faith. Body of Christ, are we fighting against the joy that's ours by becoming isolated or giving into individualism and forsaking fellowship and thinking that in order to fellowship in the right way, we have to have everything together. We must repent and by faith keep in step with the Spirit and continue on in our sanctification. Actually, that is everything, especially coming together, that's part of sanctification. We come together, we're honest with ourselves, we're fragile, we're weak. We must be honest with ourselves that God is not judging us based on our weakness or the trouble with our flesh. God judged Christ because of that. And in Christ, we've been raised into newness of life. Unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever, do you realize that sanctification is not, and I say this in a loving way, right now, sanctification is not a part of your spiritual makeup. So if there's no sanctification, my friend, there's only condemnation. You must be justified. You must be adopted in order for sanctification to begin. So in order to be justified, you must turn from your sins and your own righteousness and trust in Christ. And this is what it means to trust in Christ. You see and realize by God's grace that you have sinned against God. If you are a human being, you are created in the image of God, which shows the severity of your sin against God because you were created to glorify God as his, the pinnacle of, a, of his creation. But we have all sinned against God. God says, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't commit adultery in your heart, things like that. And if we look at our hearts, we've all said, thank you for those commandments. Peace out. I'm going to do me. We've all done that. Even as a toddler, I don't have to teach my child to say no. She's going to say no because she wants to do what she wants to do. We're born with this internal selfish heart to look to self. But what God has done, in spite of our sins, our lawlessness against him, which is first against him, God has sent his son, as I said many times before, to live the life that we were supposed to live. Jesus never, ever, ever sinned. He was born of a virgin, human in every way, fully God, truly man. And Jesus lived this perfect life, always glorifying the Father. And it was for us. His righteousness is for us. I'll get to that in a second. At the end of Jesus' life, Jesus lays down his life to be crushed on a cross. It was the wrath of God that crushed Jesus. The just wrath of God that all of us deserve. Jesus, in his perfect life as a sacrifice, bore the wrath of God. And he died. He actually died. If there was a monitor there, it would be flatlined, dead. He didn't deserve to die. Jesus could have came as a human and lived forever as a human without dying. But he died because of us, our sins. 
for all who are trusting in Christ. And three days later, he's raised from the grave to never, ever, ever die again. In his resurrection, he gives us his righteousness. So the Father sees us, if we're trusting in Christ, even in the process of sanctification, ultimately God sees us as if we live the life that Jesus lived. You're struggling, having a bad day, know that your true identity is that you are hidden in Christ and you have the righteousness of Christ and no one can take that away from you. So unbeliever, know that in that also Jesus was raised from the grave and he ascended back to the right hand of the Father. He's coming back for his church and he's coming back to judge the world. If we're not found in him, we have to pay. Oh, there's going to be payment. We have to pay for our sins. An eternal offense against an eternal God is eternal consequence. So those who are not trusting in Christ, it's a free gift, but oh, at the cost of a great Savior who now reigns. And he's calling all men and women everywhere with ears to hear to repent. Drop everything and trust in Christ and his finished work, and you will be saved. I want to wrap up in a few. Humble, point number two, we must be humble in our sanctification. We must know that our sanctification, some people who have been being sanctified for years, and you, may, you have, may have more fruit than Brother John or Brother Jim, but you must remain humble. Your sanctification, um, the, the increase of your sanctification is not because of you. It's because of God working in you for you to respond to his, him working in you. So if you have a spouse, friend, um, sibling, relative of some sort, that based on your perception of spiritual growth or maturity, air quotes, do you feel that they're just not there yet? Well, they like you, they're being sanctified, they're believers. And by God's grace, if you have that kind of pride, which we all can suffer from in our sanctification, that someone is not there yet, what God would do is he will reveal to you that your perception of spiritual growth proves to be inconsistent with your actions at some point. So we must be careful. We must be humble in our sanctification. I've learned that very much. In marriage. I'll be brief. Okay, Jasmine and I met, got married. Long story short, I was a Bible study teacher. Nothing weird. It wasn't like a youth Bible study. It was like grown-up Bible study. (laughs) And um, and so when we got married, when we got married, naturally when I read the word, when we read the word together, I was still in teacher mode. And it wasn't like devotion. It was like Kwame's a teacher, Jasmine's a student. And um, what the Lord started to show me, reveal to me was, well, first of all, Kwame, you don't have it all together. Your conclusions are not always right. I'm still sanctifying you. Continue to look to my son. 
Point three, takeaway number three. We must be hopeful. We must be hopeful. God has a way of turning cute Christianity into intentional Christianity. God has a way of turning cute Christianity into intentional Christianity. And I say that because, especially in our era, we can know the right things to say and the, the, the right way to, to appear or walk on our end. And if we're not careful, if we're not doing it by faith, as we're called to, God will graciously and lovingly discipline us to be more intentional in our walk, to be serious about our walk. And we should be hopeful with that in our sanctification. So, I wanted to read something. You, Galatians, you don't have to turn there. For the sake of time, I'll just go there. So Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes this right here, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh, that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do you understand the power and hope in that passage? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's a major statement. And it is no longer I who live. That's power. That's hope. But Christ who lives in me. That's power. That's hope. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace. And not listen, brothers and sisters, do not nullify the saving grace that has been given to you. Do not nullify it. And the way we don't nullify it is by looking unto Christ by faith and know that it is he who lives. Do not nullify it by trying to keep the law in your own strength, as the, some people in, Galat- in the Church of Galatia was doing, were doing. Keep in step with the Spirit by faith. Continue to look to Christ in your sanctification. And just as our dear friend, Mr. Roy, on a road leaving from Tennessee, uh, the band, you can, you can head up. And leaving from Tennessee... Now, our journey through this tornado, through this hailstorm that was going on, through this, this wind that was happening, the sirens. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you dearly. We must remind ourselves, as Mr. Roy reminded me. You see that opening sky right there? You see the clouds Going this way, going that way. You see the sun kind of peeking out. You see the backdrop of the blue sky. Mid-tree, brothers and sisters, in your sanctification, look that way. And what's that way is the gospel. That blue sky in the midst of your storm and sanctification, in the midst of your reality and seeing your brokenness, you must continue to keep your eyes glued to the gospel, to God's love for you. Because he loves you. You must look to Christ. 
who you are hidden in. Christ who calls us to abide in him. Who says, apart from me, you can do nada, nothing. We must look to him and not nullify the grace of God. We must continue on the road to glorification. Because that's the promise. Sanctification. There's going to be glorification. It's coming. Continue to look to the opening sky. Because that's where we're going. That's where we're heading. So fight. Fight well by faith. Do not nullify the grace of God. Know that sanctification is a gift. There's joy. And there's power. Be honest. Be humble. And be hopeful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. So we're reminded, Lord, of your work in us. Lord, you saving us. It's not just about us having some kind of Christian tag or facade of being righteous. But Lord, you have saved us for your glory, for the praise of your glorious grace. And then when you saved us, Lord, you did not just leave us to ourselves to wish us good luck until we get to heaven. You're working in us through the rough times and times of ease. You're working in us to show us that you are our ultimate joy. So, Lord, when we get distracted, everyone will do. We pray, Lord, that you will lovingly turn our eyes to you through your word, by your spirit, and through the preaching of your word and your people. I pray for every heart in here who is not trusting in Christ, who may think that they are or may know that they're not. I pray that you will convict them of their sins against you and convict them that they're not living the way that you have created us to live and show them your love and your grace your power in the person of Christ. Capture them by your spirit and all who are trusting in Christ, Lord, that we will keep the faith, that we will not forsake gathering with one another, Lord, that we will feast on your word and that we would die daily to look more like Christ. I need you. We need you more than we know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.